Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hi, welcome to another edition of Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne. And I'm Brooke Wayne. We are going to be talking about a different topic tonight than we have before. We're going to talk about the topic of marriage, marriage and parenting. How do you keep your marriage close while you are in the process of raising young children? And I'm going to be addressing some of the issues that husbands can consider as they relate to their wives. And I'm looking forward to sharing some things about being a wife and what it means to live in that close communion and close fellowship with your husband. Let's talk first about conflict. We feel like there's several different areas of marriage that are important for us to discuss. There's conflict, communication, and then, of course, there's the homeschooling factor, which is something that we do. So that may not be applicable to everybody that's listening, but for those that are homeschooling, there are some unique dynamics that the Uh, homeschooling experience can bring into your marriage relationship, Uh, and then finally intimacy. So we're going to be looking at four different aspects of marriage. We want to start with uh, conflict. It seems like conflict is inevitable in relationships because when you have two humans, two imperfect humans, and you're trying to relate to one another and trying to work together, uh, trying to come together for a common goal, common vision, You're going to see things differently sometimes. You're going to uh, have differences of opinion and, of course, different personalities and all of that come into play. And so conflict is something that is uh, inevitable to some extent. But what we want to talk about is how do you deal with conflict when it arises, realizing that it's an inevitability that it will happen at some point in your marriage. You're going to have conflict. Uh, But how do you deal with it? What are some tools and tips for how to resolve conflict. Men, I think, in particular, tend to respond differently than women do sometimes in terms of of how they respond to conflict, but then also things that they do that initiate conflict, I think, are different. Uh, Men and women both uh, have different ways they annoy each other, Mm -hmm. I suppose. And some of that can just come down, again, to personality differences and, and so forth. I actually have a uh, seminar that I do that I am asked sometimes at conferences to speak on the topic of marriage, but a lot of times when I'm traveling, I don't have Brooke. And so when I talk on marriage, I always like to have her with me because I think it's best to be able to address both the husbands and the wives. And I never feel comfortable doing that by myself, particularly talking to the wives about their side of the marriage equation. So over the years, I've created what I call the one-minute marriage seminar. <laughs> So if you're driving down the road and you're almost to work now and you don't have time to listen to the whole podcast, I want to go ahead and give you the one-minute marriage seminar, which is my condensed – it's kind of this whole seminar that we're going to do condensed into one simple statement about marriage that if you learn this one tip about how to have a successful marriage, you will have a blissful, happy, peaceful marriage with no conflict whatsoever for as long as you live. And so this is worth the price that you're paying for this free download just here in and of itself. Uh, But the One Minute Marriage Seminar is this. 
from the moment that you get married till one of you dies, just make sure that neither of you are ever selfish. <laughs> yep. That is the solution to conflict. If you can just memorize that one tip, uh, then I promise you, you will have a successful, happy marriage with absolutely no conflict. So that's the one-minute seminar. Well, we've got two marriages, weddings coming up this month. And so, you know, as we're looking at these— But not, not yours and mine. And not and not our children, <laughs> right? Because we've already we're been attending married. two weddings this month. Yeah, we've been married for like fifteen years, so we're past that. But um, and our oldest child's like fourteen, so we're not. Our children aren't getting married yet. Just people we know. But anyways, we're we're looking at these new couples coming together, and um, just knowing, looking at the things that we've gone through, as far as every couple knows that there's conflict that arises, and a lot of it really just goes back to that selfish root. And if both of us are not selfish, then everything's fine. But conflicts happen. There's two universes coming together, and that does um that takes a bit of rubbing and disagreeing on things sometimes. One of the ways I see that women in particular can contribute to conflict is through nagging. And nagging comes effortlessly to women. We tend to have a much more um of a a running list of, well, this needs done, this needs done now. And especially with, like with a honey to, to do list, that kind of comes into play. But also just as far as wanting to alter or change somebody. And that will add a lot of conflict in your marriage. This is what the Bible says in James one twenty about nagging. And I'm putting my own word in here, nagging. But it says, for the wrath of man. And I would like you to think about that word as nagging. Think of, for the nagging of woman does not produce the righteousness of God. Whatever you came into this marriage with, whatever you're hoping to maybe see changed in that marriage you have to that man, for you women listening, um, nagging is not going to produce what you want. This this verse specifically talks about wrath, which maybe we'll get into a little bit later. But nagging also, if you think about what you're trying to seek to build in that relationship, nagging is not going to bring about it. Nagging won't get your husband quicker and closer to God, and it certainly won't help him be closer to you. In terms of how men respond, some men, when there's conflict, they clam up, they stop talking. Of course, some women do that too. Um, Some of them withdraw emotionally or even uh, physically they'll stomp out of the house or remove themselves from the conversation. Or sometimes because men tend to be physically larger oftentimes than their wives, they may tend to uh, use physical intimidation. they may demonstrate anger through yelling, those kinds of things. And those are things that, of course, women also do. Men also sometimes, unfortunately, uh, resort to abusive measures of verbal abuse or physical abuse or, or psychological or, or other kind of mental abuse. Um, but those are, those are things that, of course, women uh, may do as well. But I think that, um, that for men typically are less willing to engage in the conversation than the women are. Women oftentimes are relational. They want to get to the bottom of the conflict, so they want to talk, and guys often don't, which we'll get to that a little bit when we talk about communication. Those can be typical scenarios that you see with men. Women tend to be a little bit more on the emotional manipulation side in any kind of disagreement or conflict. The way that they are going to be reacting will oftentimes be seeking to control the situation or to even change their husband by manipulating. 
You one mentioned of the, that about nagging too. Yes. You know, about I think nagging is one of the ways that women try to emotionally manipulate mm-hmm. men. Women tend to, in general, be just a lot more emotionally uh, sensitive. And in that, they can also tear down someone else emotionally by using manipulation, but specifically with their words, being able to clearly speak very harmful and painful things in order to get their husband to change. I want to put in here, sometimes, you know, the the wife might say, well, this change needs to happen. This isn't just, I'm wanting to make him wear red instead of blue. This is an important decision in our life, or this is an important way he's acting. And we're just wanting to look at any kind of conflict and say, manipulation, nagging is not the way to do it. This is what it comes down to in Proverbs 25, 24, where it says, it is better to dwell on the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. No matter what the issue is, this aspect of being contentious, of of having to always bring up that sore point, that area of disagreement, that conversation that never quite got finished, will not bring about righteousness, will not bring about a good godly change in your husband. I would say that this issue of being contentious on the part of the mothers is one that goes a lot deeper than just the marriage. We're talking about marriage in this podcast, but one of the things we've seen that is a devastating effect of this contentious attitude is that a lot of the children are emotionally devastated by this contentious attitude on the part of the mother, or it could be the father either for that matter. But um, more frequently, we see it with moms where uh, children who are older teenagers just can't wait to get out of the house. They can't wait to get away from their parents. And in many cases, it's because of this contentious attitude on the part of the mother. Right. Scripture is really true. Some of these kids are choosing because of a contentious household that's that's run that way by their mother, that they're choosing to go live in tiny little apartments or inferior conditions that are, are really a result of seeking to get away from a contentious woman. A woman really is the hub of her family, not to take away or um, say anything on the men's side, but a woman's side and her home has such importance. It is of such value for her. It's kind of like the old phrase, if a mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Or like the other one, just as far as the mom being the hub of the wheel. All these things really relate to women and how they handle or don't handle conflict in the home. Um, draws draws their children, draws their husband back into that circle of her influence, her touch, her love. This is what the scripture also says in Proverbs 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. doesn't necessarily mean quiet volume-wise, of course. It just means a quiet spirit, a, a gentle spirit, a um, a calmness about that person. And our children are more likely to want to be driven out away from the wonderful pizzas and gourmet meals and homemade cookies that you have the ability to make if it's also a place of strife. Proverbs 27.15 also takes this a step further and says, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. It's kind of like the, the leaky faucet that just will not stop, keeps dripping and dripping. In the same way, a lot of women tend to bring up that area of conflict, that sore point, that unresolved conversation, and just bring it up over and over in a nagging kind of way, in a in a way that runs down their husbands. I think the modern day thing I can think of as far as the sound would be like the fingernails on the chalkboard. That's how the life of a contentious woman radiates to those around her, and particularly her husband. 
James chapter 4 talks about the root of all conflict. I think this is a really key principle for people to remember. James 4.1 asks this question, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So the cause, the root of all quarreling, of all fighting, of all contention is this. It says desires. You desire something and you can't get it. So this is something that I think of often as kind of a discipline in my life. Whenever I'm experiencing a conflict with somebody, I ask myself this question, what do they want? And if you're in a marriage, you probably have asked yourself that question numerously, numerous times about your spouse. <laughs> what do they want? The question is, uh, what does the other person want? And then I ask myself this, uh, what do I want? What's interesting is sometimes I don't even know what I want. Sometimes I'm just like, you know, I just want to be heard. I want to be understood. I want my my viewpoints, my feelings to be understood and, and validated. Uh, or uh, I want, uh, in some cases, to get my own way, uh, wh- whatever it is. And sometimes I ask myself, well, what do they want? Well, they, you know, they want to be appreciated or they want things to go the way they want them to go or they want to be in charge or, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but I think it really helps to ask those questions. What do they want? What do I want? Because we obviously have competing desires. We have conflicting desires. I want something. They want something. And those two desires are not compatible. So then the next step, of course, is asking yourself, well, how can we make these desires compatible? Is there a way that they can live in harmony? Is there a way that these ideas can be synchronized so that you take this these two opposing viewpoints and create a synthesis from them? Uh, sometimes that can happen quite easily without any type of biblical compromise. I mean, for example, if my wife wants me to be home in time for dinner and she's frustrated when I come home at 7.30 when dinner's at 6, I ask myself, what does she want? She wants me to be home at dinner. Well, uh, maybe what I want is I want to go play golf after work and playing golf after work means I don't get home till 7.30. You know, if I go to the driving range or something, which is totally fictitious because I don't play golf and I don't go to the driving <laughs> range. But I'm just trying to create a scenario. So, uh, you know, if, if I want to go to the driving range uh, for an hour and kind of unwind from the day, then the question is, all right, so I want this. I want to go to the driving range. I want to unwind. She wants me home at dinner at 6. Um, how can we resolve this? Is there a way that we can compromise in some way? Um, maybe there's a couple ways that that kind of a situation can be compromised. First of all, maybe I could come home at 6.30 and and have a shorter time at the driving range and maybe so we compromise and so she bumps her dinner back a little bit and I don't stay as long at the driving range maybe that's a compromise or maybe uh, another compromise is that I'm home at six o'clock have dinner go to the driving range after dinner something like that there are ways sometimes that you can find a compromise so that both sides get what they want or maybe I come home and have dinner at six o'clock 
And uh, I just plan on going to the driving range on Saturday. And we agree on that. That's how we'll do this. There, there may be ways that these things can be worked out. On the other hand, there could be times where uh, we just can't agree because we have two competing goals, two competing agendas, if you will, and they're just not compatible. And we feel like we would be compromising our principles. Uh, we would be compromising our convictions in order to do that. And so, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of scenarios, but let's say that you have a husband who's a Baptist and a wife who's a Presbyterian, and the wife wants the children to be baptized, and the husband doesn't, and they both have a biblical conviction one way or the other about it. That may be one that would be really difficult. You you probably can't find a way to harmoniously synchronize that. I mean, unless you're going to say, okay, we'll baptize them as a baby and baptize them again when they get older or something like that. Probably you're going to have some conflict there. But the question is just going through this discipline. What do they want? What do I want? Is there a way we can meet in the middle? Is there a way that both sides can be satisfied, that both people can get what they want? Because if you have a win-win, uh, then you're going to have a happy scenario where both parties are are feeling good about the situation. If you have a win-lose, then somebody's feelings are going to be hurt. And I think that's where a lot of conflict comes in marriage is this win-lose situation where somebody ends up on the short side of the, the deal. And what I see happen in a lot of marriages is that that scenario, that dynamic is very one-sided that way uh, for the long term. Mm-hmm. That, yes. that basically – uh, that relationship is that the guy always gets what he wants and the wife just never has her feelings heard. She's never validated. Uh, she never gets her way, so to speak. Just the guy runs over top of her or vice versa, where the wife is domineering. She just runs the relationship. And usually those couples will end up uh, having relational problems and many times get divorced. One of the ways that women can um, really contribute to conflict in their lives and just a continual kind of lifestyle of conflict is by tearing their husbands down. A Proverbs 14 one says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. I think this is especially true for women. They tend to be very verbal and it's so easy to just spill the beans to their girlfriend about what a jerk they married and how bad he is and what he's doing that they don't agree with or why they don't agree with their husband's. And there may be occasions for speaking to someone outside of the home as far as seeking counsel, but it's never going to help your husband. It's never going to help your marriage to tear him down in a public way in particular. This kind of goes with speaking to about him, but also just the, the body language that indicates to others, oh, I can't believe he's doing this, or he's not thoughtful, or he's not sensitive, or he doesn't meet my needs. That's never going to help you get your needs met. That's never going to help you get that thing that you desire, even if it's a good thing. So I want to encourage women as they're working through different conflicts in their marriage now, or those that are going to come up in the future, that they make sure that they put away from themselves those things that are never going to help them achieve what their their end goal is. You know, if their end goal is they want to see their husband grow into a certain area or to treat them differently, they're never going to get there by nagging him. They're never going to get there by manipulating. They're not going to get there by speaking ill of him or tearing him down in public. I think the root, again, of this uh, comes down to the issue of pride versus humility, that when we're proud, we always want to have our way. We always want our opinion to be the one that's esteemed above the other person's opinion. 
humility, I think, is the posture of the heart that undergirds this to where uh, we approach each other with the right attitude. We approach each other with an attitude of how can I serve this other person? How can I love them? How can I put their interests above my interests? How can I consider their ideas better than my ideas? That's a posture of the heart, and I think humility is, is really key there. I would also say that for husbands, that the aspect of verbally affirming your wife and building her up verbally is important. It's really easy to notice all the things that don't get done in life. It's easy to notice the things that aren't happening in the family or the household or homeschooling or whatever, and to focus on those and, and accentuate those, accentuate the negative, if you will. And in the long run, that's just a really destructive approach. It doesn't benefit your relationship with your wife. Your wife needs to know that not only uh, are you on the same team, but that you recognize the intense amount of work that she does and that you value her contribution to the family. So we've talked about some things that you really need to, to put off, to get rid of, in the way that you approach any conflict or disagreement with your husband, the nagging, the manipulation, tearing him down. And so I want to add something now. Let's put something in our hopper here, if you will, about a way we can handle that conflict and approach any kind of disagreement in a godly way. There's a word that I like to use, two words here, to describe what I'm talking about. I call it a godly appeal. Women need to learn how to make a godly appeal to their husbands. A lot of times we've learned how to do uh, marriage, how to do conflict, how to do I should say conflict resolution. <laughs> we all come by conflict naturally. But we've learned how to do these things very badly because we've learned from the bad example that we've had before us in our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, even sometimes our parents' relationships and the ways that we have seen all our friends relate to each other and then just the culture at large has not given us much motivation. It's not given us much um, insight or good ideas about how how in the world do you approach conflict? On top of all that, we've just got our natural born selves that desire to lash out whenever we don't get our way or whenever something important to us is not also valued by our husbands. One of the things that I, I know my mom used to talk about was that there's a line. She said, my grandmother, which my great grandmother, and then her mother had this kind of very much of a um, manipulation trend going on and passed down from woman to woman. And my mom really tried to put a stop to that and say, hey, I'm the third generation, and now I'm the fourth generation from that. And I appreciate my mom's perspective of this is something you need to be aware of. You need to realize we've been handed down this uh, manipulative woman in marriage particularly, but also with extended family, that we need to put off that. And this is what the scripture says in First Peter 1, 18 and 19. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You know, you were not, you were not redeemed. You were not chosen and refined with just the stuff of earth. The things like silver or gold, even as valuable as we see those. And you weren't redeemed from your aimless conduct, which you received by tradition from your fathers. And here I always like to say your mothers, your, your foremothers, those who have gone before you, the example you've seen from them. But you have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. There is a way for you to act in your marriage as a way without blemish, without spot, 
without anger and spewing out um, manipulative, angry outlashes at your husband. There's a way to walk through this. And I want to tie that into just a very practical way of talking about a godly appeal. Think about Esther. When she made that appeal to her husband, they had a huge conflict, if you will. They had a huge disagreement. She saw this very importantly to save the Jews. And he saw as he didn't really care. He had already signed this edict saying that the Jews could be killed. She comes to him and she wants to make an appeal. She wants to ask for him to reverse what he has said, to change what he has said, or in a sense, change his beliefs. So she comes to him, but she doesn't just go and ask. She makes sure of a couple things. She makes sure that she has prayed. And in fact, she takes three days, I think it was, to pray. So she has taken this. She has, um, in three days, I, I would imagine she's let the anger and the outrage of all of this subside. And she's put forth her p- petition first to God. God, I need a change here. I need I need to present this to my husband. And she's begging for that help there from the Lord. Secondly, she goes to him and she doesn't just say, oh, here's what I believe. She has taken time and she's also prepared herself. She has made sure that she is dressed correctly. She's not up at in her pajamas, um, just quite a sight to see. She's making sure she's something nice to look at. And then she invites him to a meal. And I think the principle there is that she makes sure that he is fed, in this case fed physically, but I think for husbands and wives to make sure her husband is at a state where he is intimately fulfilled as well, so that she's coming to somebody who feels satisfied. She's not coming at someone who's feeling defensive and uh, vulnerable, maybe because of hunger. Then as she presents her request, request, she does so in a um, gentle way. And in a respectful way. These are things that we're not going to learn from Hollywood. We're certainly not going to learn from going to your family reunion where grandma's rolling her eyes at grandpa just because he did something she didn't agree with. I think these are things that we need to look to the scripture and we need to really take note. What is, what is it that they did? How did they respect this person? How did, how did, in this case, Esther, how did she she um, makes sure that her the king here was fed and that he was taken care of before she laid out her request. So we've come to the close of another broadcast here, and we are really grateful that you have decided to uh, spend another uh, half hour or so with us looking at the aspect of marriage. We have a lot of great podcasts left, but we want to encourage you to visit our website, familyrenewal.org. You can also visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash family renewal. And uh, we're also on Twitter. I, I am. Uh, you can look at Twitter, uh, look up at Israel Wayne, or you can also visit my personal Facebook pages. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne and facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne author. Uh, also, you can visit my blog, which is at christianworldview.net forward slash blog. I would encourage you to check out my books, uh, Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview, Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, and The Questions God Asks. 
Brooke, do you have anything you wanted to add to this? Well, I hope next time we'll be able to get into more aspects about communication, what healthy communication can look like in marriage. So we're really grateful that you joined us about this area, very important area about how to deal with conflict in marriage. It's going to happen in every marriage. And so we want to just encourage each other to walk in ways that are promoting godliness, promoting promoting God to work in our marriages. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. God bless.